Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Two Kings chapter six, verse one. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place for that, a place there for us to live. And he said, go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, and he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, my Lord, he cried, it was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said, and then the man reached out his hand and took it. Let's just pray. Father, we do thank you for your presence with us as we worshipped you. We thank you for all that the bread and the wine mean to us, the healing power, the forgiveness, the favour you've shown us in it. Now we ask you, Father, come and look with favour on your word as we look at it now, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Just one thing to say. Every preacher has peculiarities which either annoy you or, you know, you just live with. Um, I, ha- I have one which I tend to think in pictures, and I'm also actually quite a shy person. And so quite often I will just shut my eyes as I preach. Now, that's not because I'm bored with myself <laughs> or that I've fallen asleep. It just helps me think. I can assure you it will not help you to listen to close your eyes. <laughs> so if you suddenly find that I, I'm sort of shut my eyes and I'm still talking... Um, just go with it. And don't look at my wife because she hates it. (laughs) But it's just one of those things. Okay, so Elisha um, has a school of prophets with him and uh, he's beginning to gather crowds to him and the place where they're living, the place where they're staying, is too small. So one of them has the bright idea, let's build a bigger place. And uh, so they go down to cut some trees down or poles here, and they go, their aim is to build a bigger place so that Elisha can uh, have a bigger ministry, basically. He can accommodate more people. He can speak and proclaim more of the word of God um, to these people. So they go down to the Jordan, and there's one of them. He's borrowed an axe, and he starts chopping down a tree. And suddenly the axe flies off, and goes into the river. Splash. The river is clearly too deep just to step in and pick it up. It's fallen down. He presumably can't see it. He can't reach it. It's not there. Now, there are a number of problems here. One, he has borrowed the axe, which probably means he doesn't have one himself, probably means he doesn't have enough money to own one, so therefore will not have enough money to replace the axe. So there's a problem for him there. There's also a problem that either he was using the axe wrongly to break it, or the axe that he had borrowed 
wasn't well kept. So it's going to be a great shame on the person who lent him the axe that they haven't kept the axe in good condition so that when they lent it to the person, the axe broke and the head fell off. So he has the problem of now not being able to afford to replace the axe and having to go to someone who will be ashamed of the fact that they've lent a dodgy axe to the person. Okay? So he's now looking down and goes, Oh Lord, it was borrowed. <laughs> it's just the way it's written. And you just have to add a little bit to what he might have said when the axe fell in the water. But God felt it was inappropriate to say that bit. So all we are told is, oh Lord, it was borrowed. And Elisha sees the problem. So Elisha says, well, where did it fall? And the guy says, here, somewhere here is my axe. So Elisha cuts a piece of wood, throws it in, the axe head rises. <laughs> now I love this bit. So you've now got an axe head floating in the water, right? You have to enjoy the Bible a little bit. The guy, can you imagine what you do? This, it floats to the top. And the guy stands there and looks at it. And Elisha says, well, take it then. <laughs> take it. Oh, yeah, that's what I wanted. And then he fixes it. It's a great story. What's the point of it? <laughs> what time do you finish? 12-ish. It's all right. I'm just enjoying myself, which could be a problem. <laughs> Well, there are a number of points, but we are going to look at one, just one of them. And it's the point of Elisha's compassion for the man to solve his situation. The situation that he had lost an axe and the situation of having to go and embarrass a man who lent him a dodgy axe. And the compassion that Elisha shows to produce this miracle. And it's interesting when... You, uh, you're going through Mark's Gospel at the moment, aren't you? Yeah. When you? When you look at the amount of things that Jesus did just because he was stirred by compassion, it is enormous. If Jesus didn't have compassion, most of what he did wouldn't have happened. But you can, in Matthew, you have Matthew 9.36, just very, very quickly. He sees crowds of people, and he sees them, and he says, look, these are just crowds of people. They're harassed. They've got no shepherd. Stirred with compassion, he starts to teach them the way of God. Stirred with compassion, he teaches them. In Matthew 14, um, 14 he sees so many sick people. And it says, moved with compassion, he starts healing the sick. So he teaches out of compassion. He heals out of compassion. In Matthew 15, 32, he sees 4,000 people that are hungry. And out of compassion, he breaks bread and feeds them. And then in Luke 7, 13, he sees a widow burying her only son. Her only chance of income. 
says, moved with compassion, he raises the son from the dead. But it's all out of compassion. And if, if Jesus hadn't had compassion, he would have just left the crowds. What are you doing? It's just an annoyance to me. He wouldn't have fed them. He wouldn't have taught them. He wouldn't have healed the sick. Elisha knew something of the compassion of God all over an axe head. And he knew he needed to do something about it. And Elisha was confident, confident in faith that he could do something about it. He knew, this guy's lost an axe. I can do something. I'm not impotent. I'm not a nobody. I can do something here. He knew he was God's person. In 1 Kings 19, verse 20, we know that Elijah had gone specifically to Elisha and said, you are going to be my successor. Elisha was the great man of God. Elisha was the person who, who stood strong and certain and sure for all of God's people to see that here was a man who stood for God, was anointed by God. Here was the guy that, that killed hundreds of Baal's servants who called down fire on an offering. They all knew he was the man of God. And he went to Elisha and said, Elisha, you're next. You are going to be the next man of God in Israel. I'm going to be going. You're going to stay. In 2 Kings 2, 1-15, we read the story of Elijah and Elisha. When Elijah says, Elijah says to Elisha, don't you sometimes wish that God changed names a little bit? <laughs> I know your ways are perfect, <laughs> and I know you're God, and I know you had free, but you have amazing creativity about everything except names sometimes. <laughs> so, Elijah says, Elisha, stay here. I'm just going for a walk. Elisha says, no, you're going, you're going to heaven today. I'm coming with, I'm going to walk with you. And the story of Elijah walking on, telling Elisha to stay, Elisha stays. And then Elijah says, look, what do you want? And Elisha says, I want a double portion. Everything that you've got, I want. And then we read the story, and Elijah says to Elisha, okay, if you can see me when I go, you will get the double portion. You watch. You keep your eye on me. Keep your eye on the man of God until God takes him, and then you will receive a double portion. And that's what happens. Elisha stays with Elijah. Stay, stay, stay. Suddenly, a chariot comes, Elijah is whipped up, Elisha keeps his eye, and the double portion arrives. So he knew, knows he's God's person, he knows he's anointed, and he knows he's standing next to the guy that's lost the axe. He's available. And it's no different for us. We are God's people. If we know what it is to have come to Jesus and said, Jesus, I have messed up my life, but you died for people like me who messed it all up to take all that mess onto your cross. You rose again from the dead to demonstrate you had the power to forgive and to heal and to redeem what was lost. 
then Jesus, come. Come, make yourself known to me. I want to follow you. If we're like that, we know we are God's people. John 15, 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. This is Jesus, God speaking, Jesus speaking. Look, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Before eternity, I looked across the whole of humanity. I said, I want this one, I want that one, this one, that one, this one, that one. We don't know why, but God is, God is, his, his depth of wisdom is so vast. His knowledge, so unsearchable, that he could do it. And we can rejoice that he spoke to us. I wasn't looking for God when I found him, but I knew that I needed someone. And my prayer was, God, scrub my brains out and give me another chance. And in that instant, I knew I knew God. What was interesting is I didn't know I'd become a Christian because I I knew what Christians were. Christians went to grammar school. They went to university. They were doctors or solicitors. They weren't scruffy little urchins in jeans who went to a secondary modern school and got into fights. That's... So I knew I wasn't a Christian. I knew I wasn't a Christian. I just knew I knew God. It took about a year for me to discover, oh, I've become a Christian and should go to church. <laughs> because being a Christian is about knowing God. It's not about conforming to a set of rules and regulations. Out of knowing God comes the desire to walk in a way to please him. God chose me. He revealed to me how much of a mess I was, which stirred in me the desire to start again. And he gave me that opportunity. Ephesians 2, 9, 2 verse 10 says, we are God's workmanship created to do good works. We're in the world to do something. We're here for that. We are anointed. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. God didn't just forgive us our sins he then filled us with his holy spirit so that we could be empowered to live the life that he wanted us to the only real question is are we available are we available and most of us are Why the stick of wood? Why the stick of wood? Just very, very quickly. Have you ever watched or listened or read even miracles happen? I'm just going to my favorite miracle. Do you remember Jesus and Peter? <coughs> They're outside the temple. And the temple say, Jesus, you need to pay the temple tax. Okay? So Jesus says to Peter, what do we got? Peter says, nothing. So Jesus says, well, we will pay the tax. Right? So it's a simple miracle. They need two coins. 
Now, what Jesus does next is in some ways, frankly, confusing. He says to Peter, take your fishing line. Now, I don't know whether you've seen this, but do you you ever wonder where he had the fishing line? (laughs) Because in all the pictures of the apostles, none of them have a bag. You never see, has anyone seen a photo or even a drawing or even a, a, a painting of the apostles carrying a bag? They never have one which they clearly did, because in the bag was Peter's fishing rod. So Peter has his fishing line in his bag, and Jesus says to him, go down to the lake, cast your line, and the first fish you catch will have the money. Now, personally, don't you find that a little complicated? (laughs) So Peter goes down to the lake, uh, I don't know whether you know Peter's like me, or I'm like Peter, or whether you are. But you know you've got to catch the one fish with the, t- with the coin in his mouth. You get to the lake. I mean, there'll, there'll be fishermen, won't there? Because you never see a fisherman on his own. There's always lots of them sitting there. <laughs> Come to the lake. I wonder where Jesus meant me to stand. <laughs> How do I know where to stand? He just said, go to the lake. Well, I'll go to the lake then. And I cast my line in. How do I know I've cast it in the right place? How does the fish know which hook to bite on? And where did the fish get the coin from? Did someone drop the coin and Jesus knew that someone had dropped a coin in the same place so that the fish would eat it? Did the fish wake up that morning, if fish wake up, thinking, hey, today's my big day. Today's the day I get a coin because God has spoken to me. I get a coin, I go and I... Hang on a minute, there's a lot of hooks here. (laughs) Which hook do I go to? There's Peter on the beach. Am I in the right place? The fish, am I in the right place? And eventually, the fish sees the right hook, gets caught, takes that. Peter takes the coin, presumably throws the fish back. That's his big day over. He knows he's going to be written about for thousands of years. That was my big day. And then Peter goes to Jesus, here's the coin. Why didn't Jesus just move his foot and find a coin under it? Why didn't he just... Produce one in his hand. Why are miracles so complicated? Because God loves us being involved in them. Imagine how Peter must have felt afterwards. How confident he must have been. Actually, Jesus just told me to do this. I threw my line in. The fish got caught. Coin. Whatever Jesus says, if I do it, it happens. Miracles are so complicated in some ways because God wants us to be involved in them. He wants us to have the joy of seeing them come about. And so <clears throat> Elisha gets a bit of wood and he throws it in and the axe head floats and the guy takes the head. But it's a piece of wood. And a piece of wood in the Bible 
only ever means one thing, really. It takes us to the cross. That piece of wood that was going to define the whole of eternity as Jesus hung on it. And as that piece of wood was thrown in, Elisha was pointing forward once again to the power and effectiveness of the cross. The power to overcome everything. The power that was going to make metal float. The power that was going to deal with this man's problem of not being able to replace what he had borrowed. The power to deal with this man's shame for lending a dodgy axe. The cross of Jesus. The power to lift all our burdens, as was mentioned earlier, to lift our sin away and to deal with our shame. Elisha just threw a stick in. He was part of the miracle. Out of compassion for a poor prophet who was just saying, oh, it was borrowed. Elisha stepped in with the power of God. The world today <coughs> needs to see a compassionate church. And it doesn't need to see it just on the big scale. You know, Mr. Trump... is in real danger of showing the church as being a completely uncompassionate. Is that a word? I'll get my wife here. I was thinking there must be a word for it, but the church is just uncompassionate because he's so aligned himself with evangelical Christianity. One of my big fears is that he is going to present to the world a church that lacks all compassion. And we need to be a church that is demonstrating compassion. But not just in the big things. To end with, I want to tell three stories from our church. First is of a lady. <coughs> Her children didn't get into the school they wanted. And so she arranged to see the head teacher. And uh, she's going to argue her case. But in praying about it, she thought, no. Actually, Jesus, you're in control here. There's a reason behind this. But she kept her appointment. So she went to the head teacher and she said, I just want to thank you for looking after my children. I want to thank you that you gave us the opportunity of applying for this school. I want to thank you for the work that you do. And he said, yeah, but what do you want? And she said, no, I just want to thank you. And could I pray for you? He, he was in tears. He said, no one does that for me. No one. Just turned on a little bit of compassion. And just to say, I must have heard now four or five stories of people going, particularly to head teachers, and asking to pray for them, and them crying because they feel so embattled 
could pray for anyone in the NHS at the moment because <laughs> they feel so embattled. These institutions are being crushed. And we can moan about it, we can complain about it, or we can find ways of getting in there and saying, we support you. We want to pray for you. We're behind you. The next story um, is a guy in our church. He's an engineering consultant, problem-solving consultant. I mean, he is Mr. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Um, Everything's a process. Everything's straight. No curves in his life whatsoever. (laughs) It's it's just incredible. And... uh, (coughs) He went to Lidl the other, um, it's about six, four weeks ago, and he was just coming out of Lidl, and there was this lady, and uh, she was just clearly completely flustered and unhappy and near to tears. And uh, as he said, he said, I've never done anything like this in my life before. He said, but just as I was passing, I said, are you all right? And she goes, No. And he said, for the next 15 minutes, I got the story of why she said no, which involved a lot of um, arguments at home, illness with the children, and neighbours annoying her, and people dying, and he was like, why did I start this? And uh, she said, on top of that, I've got these really noisy neighbours, and he thought, I'm going to stop this. Can I pray for you? And she said, yeah. And she said, and my knee and my foot really hurt. And he said, okay, I'll just pray for you. So he prayed for her, um, just asking God to come and bless her and help her. And uh, he, just, he just prayed. And just heal her knee and her ankle. Amen. Stopped. And then she said, and anyway, as I was saying about my neighbours, they go up and... Just a minute. My leg's not hurting and my foot's not hurting. And he says, I'm not sure who was more surprised, her or me. <laughs> so I've never seen anyone healed. He said, and in Liddles, all I did was just say, are you all right? And she poured out this story and I prayed for her. And she was healed. And he just can't, he still struggles to believe it. It's like when you ask him the story, it's like, hey, maybe I dreamed it. No, it happened in little. Just a little bit of compassion. And then uh, <clears throat> about six months ago, I think it was, a, I was at one of our meetings. Um, we have a sort of mid-sized meeting. And in it, you had to put your hand into, into a hat and pull out a challenge for the week. And so I pulled out this challenge. And my challenge was, <laughs> say something nice to a utility worker who you pass in the street. So either someone sort of... A, the bin men, road sweeper, something, someone like that. Just find, just as you're passing, just say something nice. So, and then the following month, you give it a month to do it, you had to tell people you'd done it. So, I was going to either have to do it or lie. <laughs> <laughs> I thought lying probably wasn't the option. So, in the end, there's this one... <clears throat> um, it must be a really posh name for them, road sweeper anyway, um, who I pass most days of the week. So I finally plucked up courage and I just said, thank you very much for doing this. It's really nice that our streets are clean. And uh, I looked incredibly embarrassed and he looked very shocked. 
so we both parted. <laughs> but the following day, of course, we were going to pass each other again. So we said hello, and the ice was broken. And now I can say to ha- hello to him whenever I pass him. It's just a tiny, tiny little thing, but it just opened the door yeah. a little bit. It's just a tiny little thing of going to a head teacher and saying thank you. A tiny little thing of talking to a lady in Vizzle, and it just opened it. Elijah, Elisha, knew he was a child of God. He knew he was empowered to bring miracles, and he made himself available to do them. The challenge for us is to be confident in who we are, confident in our God using us, and then being available often just to do the little things that, has, that God has for us. Let's stand. Father, do thank you for being with us today. We are so grateful for everything that you have done in our lives, the way that you have changed us, the way that you've faithfully walked with so many of us for many years, forgiving us, giving us more chances, giving us amazing compassion. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and fill us that we might be your hands and feet, your eyes and mouth to the world immediately around us, that you would enable us to bring compassion to a hurting world. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.